well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Hopefully you know that by now, but uh, just in case you don't, there you go. Here's my uh, Twitter handle as well, at Cam Edwards. Feel free to follow me online. Glad that you're with us on the uh, program today. Using the royal us, we are uh, going guest list on this particular program because we have a lot to talk about. Uh, we're going to break down the August Knicks numbers for you. It was uh, another record-setting month for the National Instant Check System. In terms of the number of checks that uh, were conducted, uh, a little more than $3 million. That's the first time, by the way, that the number of Knicks checks in the month of August has ever reached $3 million. But you can't. Just look at the raw numbers. Uh, because there are some states that actually use the NICS system to check or recheck uh, uh, permits, uh, whether concealed carry permits in some states, uh, maybe your permit to own a firearm. So what the National Shooting Sports Foundation does is they go through and they separate out via the NICS codes all of those you know, checks for uh, permits and things of that nature versus the checks for firearm transfers. It still doesn't provide a perfect snapshot. Uh, private transfers that go through a uh, a background check, they'll show up on the uh, NICS record. So it's not a, a perfect uh, bill of sale, but it is a, a pretty good snapshot. It does give us a pretty good idea of where things stand right now. And where things stand, generally speaking, uh, is that, uh, as you well know, guns and ammunition, very hard to find because a, a record number of guns continue to be sold. According to the National Shooting Sports Foundation, in August, the uh, adjusted NICS figure NICS checks performed for firearm transfers. That is an increase of 51.2% compared to August of 2019 when there were a little more than 1.1 million checks performed on firearm transfers. Now, if you look at the raw numbers, NSSF points out it's like a 38% increase from August of 2019 to August of 2020. If you look at the NICS adjusted figures, all of a sudden, it's a 51% increase uh, over August of 2019. Now, the numbers are down a little bit compared to July. If you're going, you know, just month by month, the numbers in August down a, a slight amount. Typically, that would be the case. In a normal year, uh, this is a fairly slow time for gun sales. It'll start picking up again in the fall as hunting season approaches. In an election year, you also get a, a, a generally a boost, uh, particularly if there are concerns about what uh, gun control advocates might do if they take office, as in the case of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. So I, I expect we're going to see a uh, another surge come this fall. But I would not call this a, a huge decline. I mean, again, if it's still 51% over what it was in August of last year, uh, and I think that the reason for that decline between July and August can be less attributed this year to that typical slowdown in sales and more a lack of supply. You know, we've talked on the program over the past couple of weeks with uh, Larry Keene, uh, Senior Vice President, General Counsel of the National Shooting Sports Foundation, several other folks within the industry. Uh, and, you know, firearms manufacturers, ammunition manufacturers, they are going all out. They are adding shifts. They are adding employees. Basically, in many cases, doing everything but building new factories, which takes time, takes an awful lot of money. And as Larry Keene explained, if and when this surge starts to subside, you as a firearms manufacturer and ammunition manufacturer don't want to be left with excess capacity 
that would be bad for business as well. So everybody's trying to muddle through as best as they can. They're putting product out as quickly as they can, but they simply cannot keep up uh, with the demand among customers. So if, if uh, we were not seeing gun shops operate on, you know, such tight restrictions, if they were able to put in an order for 25 pistols and get 25 pistols, I imagine that those 25 pistols would still be sold almost immediately. Unfortunately, the industry is operating what's called allocation right now. And, and this is top to bottom. So you put in your order. Let's say you're a, a mom and pop gun shop in a, a small town like Farmville, Virginia. And uh, you put in an order for, you know, two cases of nine millimeter, a case of 223. Maybe you want a case of uh, a 40 Smith & Wesson. Maybe a half case of uh, 45 ACP. You want, you know, a, a, a 20 handguns. You'd love it if you could get, you know, 10 Sig P365s, but you'll take what you can get. And maybe you want 50 ARs. You're not going to get that. And in fact, it doesn't matter if you're a mom and pop gun shop or if you're Cabela's. You're, you're not going to get what you order right now because there's simply not enough to go around. So everybody gets allocated. Uh, based on, generally based on their volume of sales. Um, if you are a Cabela's or a Bass Pro, you're probably going to be getting more in stock than a mom and pop gun shop in Farmville, Virginia, because you've probably got more customers than a mom and pop shop in Farmville, Virginia. Uh, and this is, again, nationwide, coast to coast. Those high volume uh, uh, firearm retailers are probably having a, a, I wouldn't even say an easier time, because I don't think anybody's having an easy time. Uh, but they are probably being resupplied with a little bit more product than some of your smaller gun shops. But everybody's feeling the pinch right now uh, from top to bottom. And so I, I really do believe that that is what has led to that drop between July in August, in terms of the gun sales. It's it's not a that demand is slackening or lessening in any way. Uh, it's just that the product is not there to be sold. Now, gun control advocates, you know, they don't like this, as you might well imagine, right? They're, they're not big fans. Even the ones who say they support the Second Amendment and they're just, you know, common sense gun safety advocates, even those people don't like the fact that we've got, according to the NSSF, 5 million new gun owners in this country since January. They don't like to see the record high number of gun sales month after month after month after month. Wrote about this at Bearing Arms earlier today, the attempt to spin the record high gun sales in August. This is a quote from Nick Saplina, who's the managing director of law and policy at Everytown. He said, quote, with protesters being shot in the streets and gun violence on the rise, more guns is not the recipe for public safety. Fortunately, he says, polls show this jump in sales leads more Americans to support common sense gun safety laws, which is bad news for every 2020 candidate still taking orders from the gun lobby, starting with President Trump. All right, let's let's break that down for a second, shall we? Because uh, first of all, you know, the uh, increased violence that we're seeing in many cities across the country, both political violence and then what I would call, you know, street crime. Um, I, I don't think you can attribute this to new gun sales, quite honestly. Uh, I think you can attribute this to um, a lack of police resources, uh, criminal justice systems in many big cities declaring back in March that they would not be uh, operating on a full schedule. Uh, in some cases, you had uh, officials in places like Philadelphia say we're not even going to be making arrests for a lot of crimes 
uh, drug crimes, even perhaps, you know, burglary, things of that nature. Um, so I think that that has been part of the problem is that criminals right now feel emboldened. And I think that's exacerbated by the anti-police protests that have taken place across the country, uh, by the moves in places like New York City to uh, pull funding uh, to one degree or another from uh, local police departments. Uh, I think that is having an impact on these streets. And by the way, these are all things that every town for gun safety actually uh, supports and approves of uh, because they, they are desperate uh, to avoid any talk or any conversation about, well, how is it that, you know, the criminal justice system is got all these problems. It's, it's, it's inherently racist. It's putting young black guys in uh, prison. And yet you gun control advocates, you want to put more gun laws on the books. You want to turn more things that are not a crime right now into a nonviolent felony offense. You want to empower police to enforce those laws. Huh? What would the result be? They don't want to have that conversation at all. So even though they support these measures that I believe are leading to an increase in violent crime, they're still trying to pin the blame on legal gun owners. Uh, as for those polls that every town talks about, I haven't seen those, to be quite honest. The last poll that I saw dealing with the issue of do you support more gun control laws came from uh, Rasmussen. And it was two weeks ago now that this poll came out. And what they found is that support for gun control is actually dropping, not increasing. In August of 2019, according to Rasmussen, about 62% of Americans, maybe it was more, maybe it was 66%, I think it was, it was right up there, at about two-thirds of uh, their respondents said, oh, yeah, we need more gun control laws. This was right after the shooting in El Paso, Texas, uh, right after the shooting in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, motions were running high. Uh, and again, two-thirds of the respondents to that Rasmussen poll said, yes, we should have more gun laws. When they asked the question in August of 2020, that support had fallen to 54%. Still a majority. In the margin of error, it's a, it's a, a plurality. But that number is going in the wrong direction if you're a gun control advocate. And I believe that that number is going to continue to slip as we continue to see the unrest and the violence and the looting and the rioting in American cities. Uh, people are afraid. And they're not afraid because Donald Trump told them they need to be afraid. They're not afraid because the uh, mainstream media tells them they shouldn't be afraid. They're afraid because they can think for themselves and they can see what's happening in their cities. And even if their streets or their neighborhoods have been quiet, they know that that might not always be the case. They know that in an instant, things can change. Uh, and all of a sudden, it may be their small business that is being set on fire. It may be their apartment building that people are trying to burn down. And when you have that realization and that understanding, and again, you see the pullback in some cities by police, you see the uh, increase in shootings and homicides and the decrease in the number of arrests that are being made in those cases, it is only natural to come to the conclusion that, you know what, I need to be able to protect myself and the people that I love. And when that realization happens, that's when you have a new gun owner. Uh, and that is where I think you get uh, less support for new gun laws. I'll give you another bit of evidence, though, that uh, things are perhaps not uh, all going so well for gun control advocates. If indeed, they believed that uh, uh, what we are seeing play out in places from, you know, Portland to Kenosha to uh, New York City and beyond uh, are leading people to embrace the idea of gun control. 
I doubt we would see headlines like this. This is from my friend and colleague, uh, Stephen Gatowski of the Washington Free Beacon. Gun control group shies away from guns in swing state attack ads. Every town super PAC downplays gun control uh, to boost several Democrats who are running in battleground states like North Carolina. They're running these campaign ads trying to boost these candidates, and they're barely mentioning their pet issue. They're barely bringing up gun control. They're throwing gun control. It's just kind of an offhand remark along with, you know, climate change and criminal justice reform. It's not, I mean, this is a gun control group running an ad for a candidate that they're backing supposedly because of their stance on gun control, and yet that's not the focus of their ad. Wonder why that is. Well, Stephen Katasky talked to a couple of folks who, uh, you know, uh, strategists and the political scientists said, well, you know, it, I, they're, they're probably trying to appeal to moderate voters uh, and moderate voters maybe souring on the idea of more gun control right now. So you want to maybe not leave it aside completely, but just downplay uh, the role of gun control in these campaigns. We're actually seeing this in Arizona, too. I was just taking a look at uh, Mark Kelly's campaign website. I was talking with Stephen Cruiser for the Cruiser Cabana podcast, which uh, is out for our VIP subscribers at Town Hall Media now. And uh, Stephen lives in Arizona, so we were talking about Arizona on the uh, show. And I got curious, you know, Mark Kelly, husband of Gabrielle Giffords, co-founder of uh, Giffords. I mean, he is a one of the leaders in the gun control movement. And yet if you go to Mark Kelly's campaign website under the issues section, gun control is not the first issue or the second or the third or the fourth. It's like the second to the bottom. And, and even when you click on it, you don't get a lot of details about what Mark Kelly actually wants. It's chock full of, you know, common sense, gun safety, language, things like that. But really the only things that he specifically uh, talks about supporting universal background check laws, which poll well and do absolutely nothing, as evidenced in uh, New Mexico, which put its universal background check law on the book a year ago, has so far seen zero arrests, zero prosecutions, zero convictions for violating that law. Uh, Mark Kelly talks about his support for a uh, quote-unquote red flag law. Doesn't even mention that I've been able to see uh, uh, banning AR-15s, although I know that Mark Kelly would certainly vote for a ban on so-called assault weapons. So it's another example of these gun control advocates who, you know, let's say a year ago in August of uh, 2019, You would have thought gun control would have been the centerpiece of their campaigns. And now they seem to be running from that issue, running from their own issue, which, again, tells me that um, gun control is perhaps not the political winner at the moment that gun control advocates are claiming that it will be. Now, having said that, I don't want gun owners to get complacent. I don't want you to think, oh, we got this in the bag. We got five million uh, new gun owners out there. They're all going to vote for the second. No, they're not. Some of those 5 million gunners are going to turn around, they're going to vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, knowing full well what their gun control agenda is. Uh, we cannot depend simply on that influx of new gun owners uh, to pull pro-Second Amendment candidates uh, across the finish line. What, what we can do, and we talked about this a little bit with Tony Simon uh, from Diversity Show in the program earlier this week, is we can try to give these folks information, get them thinking about the issue, uh, but also as gun owners, we ourselves can be engaged in get-out-the-vote efforts. Uh, And that is going to be critically important. We're going to be talking more about that in the days to come here on Bearing Arms Cam and Company, what you can do as an individual, as a Second Amendment supporter, how you can be most effective between now and Election Day in terms of electing candidates that will support your right to keep and bear arms, that will protect your right to keep and bear arms. 
Right now, though, let's get to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a story out of Washington, D.C., where a fourth suspect has uh, turned himself in uh, in connection with the shooting death of an 11-year-old uh, earlier this year in the District of Columbia. Uh, according to WUSA, this uh, fourth suspect, along with uh, pretty much all of the other suspects in this case, known to police, had a previous criminal record. 25-year-old Marcel Gordon has been charged with first-degree murder while armed. He has a prior arrest for carrying a pistol without a license there in uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, there have been four arrest warrants that have been issued in the case. 18-year-old Daryl Bond, 22-year-old Christian Wingfield, uh, both previously arrested in uh, July, charged with the uh, the, the same uh, premeditated first-degree murder charges. Uh, according to uh, Channel 9, police don't believe that uh, the 11-year-old was the intended target of the shooting. They say it appeared to be a neighborhood beef between uh, three rival gangs. Uh, in charging documents, they tie the case to a previous shooting on June 29th. Metropolitan Police Department uh, Chief Peter Newsham said all four men have gun-related criminal histories. Two of the men on active probation with past felony charges at the time of the murder. And again, you got Muriel Bowser, mayor of D.C., who is, uh, you know, trying to blame the violence in Washington, D.C. on Donald Trump. No, it's not President Trump's fault. Uh, according to police, the individual responsible for the death of this 11-year-old, well, the individuals responsible, uh, have been arrested. And they all have previous criminal histories. These aren't law-abiding gun owners. These aren't legal gun owners. These are people who don't care what Washington, D.C.'s gun control laws are any more than they care about the prohibition on homicide. And yet Democrats, from uh, Muriel Bowser all the way up to uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, want to pretend that it is the legal gun owners who are to blame for these crimes, rather than the failure of the criminal justice system to treat these individuals seriously when they are charged with violent crimes that don't end up on the front page of the local newspaper, don't leave the nightly news. Because all too often, when these cases don't get this type of press attention, what happens to the uh, suspects or the criminal defendants in these cases is a slap on the wrist, and they're sent on their way. Now, on to our armed citizen story from Bakersfield, California. Yes, you can still exercise your right of self-defense in the state of California. Believe it or not, uh, turn to 23, the ABC affiliate there in Bakersfield, says a suspected burglar shot by a homeowner Sunday night while he was trying to break into a home. According to the uh, Bakersfield Police Department, they uh, do believe that the suspect and the homeowner had some relationship to one another, although they're not actually uh, discussing what that relationship might be. It was about 6 p.m. on Sunday when police responded to a call of a burglary in progress on the southwest side of uh, Bakersfield. When they got there, homeowner reported that somebody was trying to force entry into the home. Homeowner reported he armed himself with a handgun and then fired at the suspect. That suspect uh, sustained multiple gunshot wounds, was admitted to the hospital with moderate but non-life-threatening injuries, according to uh, Turn 223. Suspect uh, has been stabilized. Likely going to be facing some uh, charges once they get out of the uh, county or out of the, I guess out of the local hospital. Hopefully they'll get to spend a little bit of time in jail uh, while they are uh, awaiting trial on these charges. And finally today, our good deed of the day. I got to tell you, I, I love this story. This is from WVTM Channel 13 in Alabama. It's about a woman named Jocelyn James and a guy named Terrell Potter. 
Uh, you can uh, see the pair right there. Now, Jocelyn James and Troll Potter have not always had the best of relationships. In fact, about a decade ago, Troll Potter was a uh, police officer on the streets, and Jocelyn James was one of Alabama's most wanted. Yeah. But Jocelyn James able to turn her life around after Officer uh, uh, Terrell Potter arrested her. And uh, when Officer Potter needed a life-saving kidney transplant, Jocelyn James was the one who stepped up and actually provided that transplant for the officer, saving his life, just as uh, she said, he ended up saving hers. Because that arrest was that moment where she started to turn her life around. I love this story. The grace, the redemption, and the uh, love shown by uh, this woman towards her fellow man. I just think it's an awesome story. Make sure you... Uh, uh, we'll, we'll share a link to the entire story uh, at uh, Bearing Arms this afternoon. Just look for the uh, Cam and Company post, which should be coming. But it's a great story. So in the right place, at the right time, and willing and able to do the right thing. Jocelyn James there in Alabama, we thank you for your very, very good deed. And that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as well. We'll be back tomorrow with the latest Second Amendment news and information. And if you feel like getting up bright and early, I'll be uh, sitting in on the WMAL Morning Show in Washington, D.C. on Thursday and Friday from 5 to 9 a.m., we might even have a little Second Amendment discussion at some point over the uh, eight hours or so that I'll be a co-hosting with Vince Koganis from WMAL. In the meantime, thanks as always for being a part of today's program. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, and be free. We'll see you soon with another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company.